A chat with a few house has-beens. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of September 30th. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. Joining me today are three special guests. Uh, we're going to go around and introduce each other. Jimmy Napier. I'm the former Speaker of the Tennessee House of Representatives. I'm Matt Kisber. I was a member of the House of Representatives and uh, former Commissioner of the Department of Economic and Community Development. I'm Billy Stair. I was the Senior Policy Advisor to Governor Ned McWhorter. So I've got you three gentlemen on um, for an unrelated podcast we're doing uh, about Operation Rocky Top. But you told me, Speaker Nafee, that uh, you have a group that you helped found that I think is very interesting uh, and is worth sharing with some of our listeners. Uh, what is it called and what do you do? Well, we call ourselves the has-beens. And myself and Jim Henry, who is the former deputy to the governor, and Bill Purcell, who was a former majority leader, uh, got this group together. We started out very small. In fact, the uh, first guest that we have a guest speaker each each time. Uh, the first guest speaker that Jim Henry brought was uh, Governor Winfield Dunn. And then about four or five weeks later, I took John Siegenthaler. <laughs> and we've gone from there to John J. Hooker, to Kill Hunt, to Hal Harden. Uh, you can name them. We've had them. Uh, and it's been a, it's a great group. We've gotten up to about, oh, we'll have, like today we had about 30 to 35 people. And what's happened, it, it's, it's, it's former House members. You know, there's still that Senate's division. Senate's not invited? <laughs> there's still that division between the House and the Senate. If, if you were a senator and, and uh, but you were a House member first, you're welcome to come. And, but, uh, and then we've had so many other folks that, uh, that have been as guests, they want to come back, so they're now members also. <laughs> so, Matt, you and and Billy, you've been uh, part of this. Uh, what's it been like to you know, uh, kind of rekindle the old times with with your former colleagues and and friends? The the most pleasant thing for me is each month it reminds me of a time when we worked over there, and there was definitely a different culture than there is today. And there are Republicans and Democrats sitting together, and some were attorney general and others were in the governor's office or whatever. But we still have that same collegiality. There's not a bit of, of bitterness or partisanship in that group. And it reminds you how you could get things done in the past. Because there's Democrats and Republicans. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yes, for yes. sure. And, and, and that's, I think, Billy's spot on. I mean, when we served together, and I served from 82 to 2002, the thing that I really enjoyed about being in the legislature was working with like-minded individuals who wanted to move the state forward. And some of my best friends were my Republican colleagues, and we all uh, spent time together, you know, went out to dinner together, did things, cared about each other's families. And um, being able to get back together and stay abreast of what's going on and in touch on a personal basis is is very rewarding and then knowing what's going on with you know inside state government by having the various leaders that come and speak is is a, a nice benefit of uh, uh now that we're in the private sector and don't have the uh, <laughs> access that we we once had <laughs> i mean how how closely do you find yourselves following what goes on in state government today well uh, this we all do <laughs> yeah we do and, and but this is a, an, another 
resource for us to have conversation with people that have have uh, been that are in the same shoes we're in. Mm-hmm. But also some of the uh, different commissioners are now coming as has-beens because they were commissioners before. Mm-hmm. We had two finance commissioners there today. Oh, yeah? yeah. Who were they? Well, Dave Getz and Larry Martin. Oh, all right. Two different administrations. There you, you know. go. Sat, sat together, actually. It's strictly bipartisan. Okay. Nonpartisan is probably yeah. better than bipartisan. And, and I think, too, one of the things that comes from it is that when a speaker comes and sees the diversity of, of information that's around the table— they often will want to pick someone's brain or to, to uh, understand some of the, the history behind activities that have gone on in the department or an issue or something. And, and I know there's been lots of outreach that's occurred as a result of making an introduction at the has-beens of a has-been oh, yeah. to a current. <laughs> no question. No question. There, there was a finance commissioner today who made an observation about TenCare which reflected a real historical knowledge of how it was structured and what its capacity mm-hmm. for corruption might be. And talking to the head of the FBI, that was an interesting conversation. Huh. TBI, excuse me, TBI. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. He was our speaker, the yeah. director of the, of the TBI today. Uh, um, Roush. Okay, David Roush. Um, so, uh, you had, uh, Billy, you had mentioned a couple of minutes ago uh, the idea that uh, politics is different now. Uh, what's different? What do you see as, you know, now just being uh, watching it, not necessarily participants in the process? How has it changed? And has it, in your view, gotten a little bit nastier, worse, uh, you know, harder for people to serve? There's no question that there's an element of tension there that's much higher than it was when any of us served. And, and, And you could assign that to a number of reasons. One, I think, is the bitterness of the campaigns have just left people so angry when they come down there is is, is part of it. I think certainly at least one of the parties and the other party might say both parties have sort of moved out toward their edge a little bit to where that that space in the middle is not as populated as it used to be. I mean, I could look around that table today and there were only a handful of issues where we might disagree in any meaningful way. If you, if you needed a, a gas tax or a road bill or an education program, the Republicans and Democrats invariably would come together with large majorities to do that. Let me give you an example of what Billy just talked about. And Billy was instrumental in this bill, and that was the governor's education bill back uh, in the early 90s. 92. And Bill Purcell was handling it in the House, but Bill, it was hard to pass that bill, but he got the Republicans, Alan Hubbard was his name, Mm -hmm. from Upper East Tennessee, and Alan delivered about 22 or 23 Republican votes for that bill that was was hard for us to pass. And, you know, to Billy's point about the nastiness and the rancor from the campaigns, Mm -hmm. I will never forget, I ran... In 1982, and in the general election, I was running against an incumbent, an incumbent Republican. And Speaker McWhorter at the time was coming a couple of weeks before the election to do a big get-out-the-vote rally for me. And I was 
talking to him beforehand, I was like, Speaker, I'm so excited you're here. I want you to hit him on this and hit him on that. You know, I'm a 22-year-old full of enthusiasm. Not going to happen. And, and, and Speaker said, he called me Matthew. He said, Matthew, that's not the way I believe in campaigning. He said, I'm going to talk about what you'll be able to do as a representative, how you'll be able that's to right. be more effective, what you'll be able to accomplish. I'm not going to talk about your opponent. That's not the way you get elected by tearing someone else down. You build up what you're capable of doing. And that was a a lesson that Mm -hmm. I took to heart that I used in all my subsequent campaigns. Because if you keep a campaign from being personal and you're able to keep it focused on what you can accomplish and on the issues, then you don't have those lasting scars afterwards. Let me give my anecdote. So Jim Henry was there today who was – Deputy Governor for for Governor Alex for Governor Haslam, but in the past when I worked in the legislature in the governor's office, he was the Republican leader of the House. Now imagine every Monday afternoon, he would ride from Roan County to Nashville in the car with Senator Annabelle O'Brien, who was the Democratic Caucus Chairman. And so the Democratic caucus chairman and Republican House leader rode every day down and every Thursday back. You think they didn't talk politics on the way down there? And that's the kind of relationships that made the wheels turn in the legislature. See, Jim and I were leaders at the same time when Governor McCorder was a speaker, and we've maintained that friendship since then until today and, and still do. But Back to something Billy alluded to, and you ask about the difference. I think the legislature today is I looking, not being there. It looks like there's a lot of I and not we or us doing things. It seems to be a lot of them want to just be the ones that are doing it themselves and and think they can do that without soliciting the help from others or even from the other party. It, now, that's just an observation, and I may have that observation wrong, but that's the way I see it. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, how much of that do you think has to do with the fact that there is a supermajority right now, right? That that the Republicans don't really need, and you guys had a supermajority, you know, back no, then. I, we, we never had a supermajority, not when I was there. Yeah, well, we, we had, had 66. 66. Okay. In 77, you okay. had 66. Okay. So okay. Cl- close, but... but my, well, I, I didn't I, even remember it. I guess my... <laughs> <laughs> but my question, I guess, is, uh, you know, does that sort of dominance in power really breed the ability of just saying, hey, we just need to collect ourselves as a party and we don't need to reach across the aisle? Here's what I, I think that one of the things that has ruined the ability to have the collaboration and the, um, in the interaction between the parties has been the creation of the social media and the instant communications mm-hmm. and the, the ability for people to get their information from a source that thinks like them as opposed to an objective third party that's reporting on it. And I'm so thankful that I was in office before all that happened because I, I do think that members become concerned about what they're hearing. And if they're hearing from people that are only hearing certain amount of information, they become... Yeah. They gravitate to that, and I think we have a lot of that going on at all levels of politics today, and I don't think it's healthy uh, for our system of government. No telling what the Twitters would have been saying about us. <laughs> well, that stuff well, had been popular. I'll, I'll tell the story about Jimmy and, and, and um, Jim Henry. Again, I was in my second or third term. It was after session one day. 
Jim Henry had been was minority leader, and he had been pretty aggressive about something the uh, toward Jimmy Nafee on the floor, and um, and it was about you know Republicans and Democrats and difference over something that was going on. I can't remember the details, but we're all down after session in um, in Jimmy Nafee's office. And Jim Henry is sitting in Jimmy's chair, has his feet up on Jimmy's desk, and is just laughing and carrying on and is as convivial as could be. And so I I said to Jim, I said, I, I just don't understand it. You were 30 minutes ago giving Jimmy Nafee one heck of a hard time, and here you're acting like he's you're his schoolhouse best friend. What gives? He goes, Matthew, don't you understand? There are things I have to do, and there are things Jimmy have to do in our in our respective it's positions. actors on a stage. But Jimmy Nafee is never caught by surprise. I never say anything he's not heard before from me beforehand. And he does the same thing to me. I mean, that's the way we have to work. And that kind of, of um, collegiality and, and, and relationship, I suspect, I haven't been around the legislature in a long time, but from what I see on television, doesn't <laughs> doesn't exist today. Matt, you you briefly touched upon uh, the press. I wanted to go back. As I look at it, now I'm covering the legislature. I'm one of a handful of people that are there every day. Uh, it's significantly smaller than even my predecessors, who are still there. Eric Shelzig and Andy Schur are are kind of talking about what the press corps has been like. What was it like back then? Uh, what was it like to have you know so many TV wow. reporters, radio uh, people, uh, whoever else, you know, print reporters up there all the time? Um, and w- what was the relationship like? Well, you, I had a good. I think I had a good relationship with the press. I believe I did. I was available to them. Uh, every Thursday after session, I had press availability, uh, and and, uh, and I think the speakers of the Senate and the House that came after me started that same procedure. But uh, uh, you, you had to be very open with the press and especially be very honest with them, and, and that's what I tried to do. And I think the relationship at the legislature with members of the press especially the members who were in leadership. And fortunately, uh, Speaker Nafee gave me many opportunities. I was chairman of the finance committee and vice chairman of it. So you had members of the press coming to see you regularly to ask you on a daily basis, sometimes three or four times a day to understand what was going on about an issue or something. And I always believed that if you had a honest and open dialogue with members of the press, you get you could convey the information that they needed to get the story out to the public, and they were important conduits of, of accomplishing that. Um, and because there were so many members of the press, there was a, a I guess you'd say, a, a tension that um, you know they wanted to get something on their deadline and oh. not on somebody else's. I mean, deadline. I've heard great stories of people swiping stuff off of each other's <laughs> you know desk, oh, uh, sure. <laughs> and, and there were some real institutional characters that came mm-hmm. out of the Capitol Hill press court, oh. Drew Smith and, uh, and Larry Daltrey <laughs> and um, um, Rocky Rollins, who was yeah. the AP yeah. uh, for, for decades. When you had two reporters from the Tennessean and two from the Banner and two from the Commercial Appeal and two from the Knoxville News Sentinel and the Chattanooga Free Press and Jackson Sun and Kingsport Times, the collection of all that, 
was a creative energy, they could go after so many more issues. And on many of the same issues, they were competitive in the sense that they really drove information. I mean, it was a very, I think, invigorating time for the for the media down there. I actually was a member of the Capitol yeah. Hill Press Corps from 78 through 81. I was at I worked at summers and Christmas at the Jackson Sun, and I was at Vanderbilt, and they had a Nashville bureau. Jeff Wilson was the hmm. Capitol Hill reporter, and I worked with him um, and ha- was a card-carrying member. <laughs> Drew Smith was the uh, chairperson. <laughs> this will date our age, but all of us can remember when – I can't imagine anybody listening to this would believe this – but. The reporters didn't have computers, mm-hmm. and they, they, they could not edit their stories up mm-hmm. to the last minute. They had to send them in, and then there was this group they all called the droolers that edited their stories, and, they, of course, they cursed them every day. And it was, it was, a, it was just different. <laughs> um, as really, do you want to tell, Joel, what uh, Governor McCorder called the press? <laughs> it was a term of affection. It, 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 it was the south end of a northbound dog. That's what he always referred to. And I to used that. that with him a lot, and you know, it just kept you, the relationship light. You know, the the press, I guess, today still sit behind the glass mm-hmm. partitions and. Then Speaker McWhorter always referred to them as their cages when the when people would get kind of loud and he would say, "All right, members in their seats, press in their cages." <laughs> um, uh, you know, as we uh, as I look to wrap up here, um, tell me a story that you know I may not know that you think is worth sharing uh, to our listeners of a, a time before where we're at today. Um, just you know. Think of anything that, you know, you think is another good anecdote to share to kind of just show what it was like, symbolic of what it was like at the time that you were uh, Well, I'll, I'll do a short one. Sure. Uh, so this is when Ned McWhorter was governor, and Ronald Reagan wanted to come speak in the Tennessee General Assembly. 1982, maybe? Yes. I and think I have that speech on my... Well, no, this, no, this that was when he was met. speaker. This okay. was later oh, okay. when McWhorter's governor. Okay. I, I, there was a time that you're referring to, but there was uh, a debate within the governor's staff about whether the governor should meet Reagan at the airport. And it was a lunchtime discussion, and it, it grew increasing in volume, and people were getting agitated with each other. And finally, Governor McWhorter just slammed his hand down on the desk, and he said, when the president of the United States comes to Nashville, the governor is going to meet him at the airport, and if y'all want to keep arguing about it, go out in the hall. (laughs) (laughs) And he did show up, and he met Reagan as he came down the steps, and they probably chatted for about 30 seconds, and he leaned over and he said, Mr. President, I believe that's your crowd over there. If you don't mind, I'm going to slip off and go courting. (laughs) That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Reagan just laughed. Matt, do you uh, have a, an interesting story you want to share? Governor McWhorter had been up. But, but this is Speaker McWhorter now. This, this is the yeah, one that we were talking about. Yeah, he was the Speaker okay. then. Okay. And he uh, uh, had been to D.C. You correct me. Well, it, so the story is you've got to rewind it a little bit to put pieces together. When Jimmy Carter ran for re-election in 1980, then Speaker McWhorter appeared in a, at an event in Memphis, mm-hmm. of course, seated on the stage. 
And Sam Donaldson then was with ABC News and had the well-deserved reputation of being probably the meanest <laughs> member of the media of the press corps. He sets his tripod up right in front of McWhorter. So McWhorter gets up and moves, whereupon he, Sam Donaldson moves his tripod again. McWhorter is now agitated, and he says, make up your mind where you're going to put that Kodak, is what he called the camera. <laughs> and Donaldson leads over to his cameraman and says, don't pay attention to him. He's a nobody. <laughs> so that's... The first chapter of the story, okay. McWhorter files out away. Okay. Two years go by, and now President Reagan wants to come speak at the Tennessee General Assembly, right. and the significance of the event is it's the first speech he has made since his assassination attempt. It was a big oh. national deal huh. for, for this speech. And what no one except those who work down there would know when you're in the in the House chamber, Speaker Nafee would know, the Speaker has absolute control over all aspects of what goes on in that chamber. And who comes in and who that's doesn't right. Come in. Everything about it. And so the night before, we're going over the last details of the president coming in the next day, and and uh, Speaker McWhorter says, "Billy, give me that list of the press credentials." <laughs> I got it. He looks down. He says, well, here's my old friend, Sam Dawson. He says, give me that grease pencil. <laughs> and he took it out and just put a big black mark through Dawson's name. And he knew what was going to happen the next day. So he gave that list to the head sergeant at arms, a guy named Greg O'Rear, who was about 6'9", about 300, used to be the head of highway patrol. <laughs> And he had him cued. He said, now, when Donaldson gets here, you're going to have a scene. He said, can you handle it? He said, Mr. Speaker, I can handle it. <laughs> so, as you know, there's only one door right. that goes into the House right. chamber. And the whole press corps comes up like a herd of wildebeest trying to get in. And Donaldson's pushing and everything. And he gets to the door, and Greg O'Rear says, I'm sorry, Mr. Donaldson, but your name's not on the list. <laughs> Whereupon Sam Donaldson just curses him profusely and screaming and threatening and yelling. And Greg O'Rear's greatest moment of my time in the governor's office, he's, he said, uh, or speaker's office, he said, uh, Mr. Donaldson, I've tried to tell you in a nice way that you can't go in. If you don't leave, I'm going to have to tell you another way. And all the press corps, which you know hated Sam Dawson, yeah. were just hooting and whistling and hollering at him. And he just turned around and left and flew back commercially, oh, threw man. him out of the house. <laughs> but there was a thing of etiquette there in pride. It wasn't just a petty thing. As sure. He had insulted Tennessee, and so McWhorter would extend every gracious effort to a Republican president, which is what he thought he should do. But for somebody that insulted his state, he threw him out of Capitol. <laughs> that's that's a great story. Yeah. Those, those are hard to beat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, we, and we could sit here and reminisce on McWhorter's stories all afternoon. I was going to say, should we? I, I had trouble with the NRA uh, lobbyists quite often. And... Uh, one of the times he was in the in the gallery and he he yelled about something. I can't even remember what it was. And I had to have the sergeant at arms remove him from the gallery and then remove him from the from the legislative plaza. He was so belligerent. Hmm. Wow. I can remember that. Matt, do you remember that young man that I had to do that? Or Matt, that might have been after you were there. 
after you had left. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember <laughs> that, but it doesn't surprise me. Well, I think that's all uh, I've got, unless you've got an, a story you want to share, Matt. You're, um, you're thinking about something, I can tell. <laughs> oh, there are all kinds of thinking. There, there are all kinds of stories. The only thing I'd say is um, the time during the time we were in office and time leading up to that, the people who served on a bipartisan basis in the Tennessee legislature cared about moving the state forward. And the leadership was all focused on how do we make Tennessee a better place. And the bipartisan effort, and it was always bipartisan. There was never a party-line vote on the issues that mattered about moving moving the state forward because everybody had a role to play in contributing to the formulation of that policy. Mm-hmm. And when that policy got to the floor, it had the buy-in necessary to make it a successful outcome. And, um, and I was always taught that's the way you make things happen. And it seems like at all levels of government, that formula seems to have broken apart. Well, I appreciate you guys coming in and and walking down memory lane with me. (laughs) Thank you again for coming in. All right. No, it was fun. And now we move on to this week's notebook dump. Nashville Mayor John Cooper was sworn in on Saturday as the ninth mayor of Metro Nashville. He had beat out former mayor David Briley in the runoff earlier this month. And at his swearing-in, he promised to create a Nashville that, quote, works for everyone. Bill Young, a former chancellor in Davidson County, will serve as the next executive director of the Bureau of Ethics and Campaign Finance. The Ethics Commission and the Registry of Election Finance got together recently and selected Young as the new executive director. Congressman Jim Cooper, the brother of Nashville Mayor John Cooper and a moderate Democrat from Nashville, last week changed course a little bit on how he was speaking about impeachment. Uh, Hours before House Speaker Nancy Pelosi came out saying that Democrats in the House plan to move forward with impeaching the president. Congressman Cooper also said that he was in favor of that, which was a, a switch from what he had previously said about not pushing for impeachment. In a rare rebuke of the president, U.S. Senator Lamar Alexander voted in favor of a resolution to essentially uh, rebuke the president over his request for uh, funding for the border wall along the U.S.-Mexico border uh, by using a national emergency. Uh, Alexander said essentially it was an end run around congressional spending. Vice President Mike Pence will appear in Nashville next month at a fundraiser to support President Donald Trump in his bid for re-election. The dinner is selling tickets ranging from $1,000 to $100,000. And finally, Governor Bill Lee appointed Halloran Hill, an East Tennessee talk radio show host, and Tyrese Miller, a deputy police chief in Jackson, to the Capitol Commission on Monday. The Capitol Commission has gained attention as... Uh, Some have called for the removal or uh, additional context added to a controversial bust of former KKK Grand Wizard Nathan Bedford Forrest that's inside the State House. That's it for Grand Divisions this week. As always, you can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Please continue to rate us. We will be back next week as usual. Uh, Just a, a quick primer. In a couple of weeks again, we are coming out with an episode or two episodes on Operation Rocky Top, a federal investigation into lawmakers and other public officials in Tennessee back in the 1980s. So stay tuned for that. It's uh, very exciting stuff. 
Uh, as always, this podcast is produced by Erica Whitney and John Garcia. You can find us on Twitter at Grand Divisions 3. I'm Joel Eber. And I'm Natalie Allison. See you next week.